When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, hello. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am, once again. As always, literally just such a predictable announcement every time I am your host, Liv. And 
Well, oh, am I here again reading to you from Lucian's true history, i.e. one of the most ridiculous and hilarious pieces of ancient writing I have ever, ever come across. Honestly, it's a piece of art. So another huge thank you to Ryan Denson for suggesting this to me. Truly, what a gift. Now, make sure that if you are listening to this, you have listened to last week's episode because it starts this thing off, but also I give some background exactly uh, on exactly who Lucian is and what he's doing with this piece of art. <laughs> and once again, I am here with a very, very pre-recorded episode, you know, just in case anything else horrific has happened in the world since I recorded this at the beginning of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Who knows what the world will look like in just a few months? Sorry if I missed out, but I digress into darkness. And today is for the light and happy ridiculousness that is Lucian's true history. Where we last left our travelers, presumably, but maybe not clear, a Lucian himself. They had visited an island that had rivers of wine and weird tree women before they went on to fly through the air and up to the moon. There, on the moon, they helped the king of the moon, and Endymion, in a war against the king of the sun, Phaethon. Truly, so good. The descriptions of the moon and the sun people alone... What a joy. Who knows what today has in store? Not me, because I read this for the first time as I recorded for you. Seat in my pants, as is necessary for a show that has two episodes per week, and sometimes I try to go on holidays. Seat of my pants. This is Lucian's True History, translated by Francis Hicks, Part 2. Then we took our leaves of the king and such as were near him, and took shipping and departed, at which time Endymion bestowed upon me two mantles made of their glass and five of brass, with a complete armor of those shells of lupins, all which I left behind me in the whale and sent with us a thousand of his Hippogypians to conduct us five hundred furlongs on our way. In our course we coasted many other countries, and last arrived at the Morning Star, now newly inhabited, where we landed and took in fresh water. From thence we entered the Zodiac, passing by the sun and leaving it on our right hand, took our course near unto the shore, but landed not in the country, though our company did much desire it, for the wind would not give us leave. But we saw it was a flourishing region, fat and well-watered, abounding with all delights. But the Nephilocentors, espying us, who were mercenary soldiers to Phaethon, made to our ship as fast as they could, and finding us to be friends, said no more unto us, for our Hippogypians were departed before. 
Then we made forwards all the next night and day, and about evening tide following, we came to a city called Lycnopolis, still holding on our course downwards. The city is seated in the air, between the Pleiades and the Hyades, somewhat lower than the Zodiac, and arriving there, not a man was to be seen, but lights in great number running to and fro which were employed, some in the marketplace and some about the haven, of which many were little, and as a man may say, but poor things. Some again were great and mighty, exceeding glorious and resplendent, and there were places of receipt for them all. Every one had his name as well as men, and we did hear them speak. These did us no harm, but invited us to feast with them, yet we were so fearful that we didn't either eat or sleep as long as we were there. Their court of justice stands in the midst of the city, where the governor sits all the night long, calling everyone by name, and he that answers not is judged to die, as if he had forsaken his ranks. Their death is to be quenched, we also, standing amongst them, saw what was done, and heard what answers the lights made for themselves, and the reasons they alleged for tarrying so long. There we always knew our own light, and spoke unto it, and questioned it of our affairs, and how we all did there, which related everything unto us. That night we made our abode there, and on the next morrow returned to our ship, and sailing near unto the clouds, had a sight of the city Nephilacocagaea, which we beheld with great wonder, but entered not into it, for the wind was against us. The city thereof was Coronis, the son of Cotyphion, and I could not choose but think upon the poet Aristophanes, how wise a man he was, and how true a reporter, and how little cause there is to question his fidelity for what he has written. The third after, the ocean appeared plainly unto us, though we could not see the land, but what was in the air, and those countries also seemed to be fiery and of a glittering color. The fourth day about noon, the wind gently forbearing, settled us far and leisurely into the sea. And as soon as we found ourselves upon water, we were surprised with incredible gladness, and our joy was unexpressible. We feasted and made merry with such provision as we had. We cast ourselves into the sea and swam up and down for our disport, for it was a calm. But oftentimes it falls out that the change to the better is the beginning of greater evils. For when we had made only two days' sail in the water, as soon as the third day appeared, about sun rising, upon a sudden we saw many monstrous fishes and whales, but one above the rest, containing in greatness fifteen hundred furlongs, which came gaping upon us and troubled the sea round about him, so that he was compassed on every side with froth and foam, showing his teeth afar off, which were longer than any beech trees are with us, all as sharp as needles and as white as ivory. Then we took, as we thought, our last leaves of one another, and embracing together expected our ending day. The monster was presently with us and swallowed us up, ship and all. 
But by chance he caught us, not between his chops, for all the ship slipped through the void passages down into his entrails. When we were thus got within him, we continued a good while in darkness, and could see nothing till he began to gape, and then we perceived it to be a monstrous whale of a huge breadth and height, big enough to contain a city that would hold ten thousand men. And within we found small fishes and many other creatures chopped in pieces, and the masts of ships and anchors and bones of men and luggage. In the midst of him was earth and hills, which were raised, as I conjectured, by the settling of the mud which came down his throat. For woods grew upon them, and trees of all sorts and all manner of herbs, and it looked as if it had been husbanded. The compass of the land was two hundred and forty furlongs. There were also to be seen of all kind of sea-fowl, as gulls, halcyons, and others that had made their nests upon the trees. Then we fell to weeping abundantly, but at the last I roused up my company and propped up our ship and struck fire. Then we made ready supper of such as we had, for abundance of all sorts of fish lay ready by us, and we had yet water enough left which we brought out of the morning star. The next morrow we rose to watch, when the whales should gape, and then looking out we could sometimes see mountains, sometimes only the skies, and many times islands, for we found that the fish carrying himself with great swiftness to every part of the sea. When we grew weary of this, I took seven of my company and went into the wood to see what I could find there. And we had not gone about five furlongs, but we light upon a temple erected to Neptune. As by the title appeared, and not far off, we espied many sepulchres and pillars placed upon them, with a fountain of clear water close unto it. We also heard the barking of a dog, and saw smoke rise afar off, so that we judged there was some dwelling thereabout. Wherefore, making the more haste, we lighted upon an old man and a youth, who were very busy in making a garden and in conveying water by a channel from the fountain into it. Whereupon we were surprised, both with joy and fear, and they also were brought into the same taking, and for a long time remained mute. But after some pause, the old man said, "'What are you, you strangers?' Any of the sea spirits, or miserable men like unto us? For we that are men by nature, born and bred in the earth, are now sea-dwellers, and swim up and down within the continent of this whale. And know not certainly what to think of ourselves. We are like to men that be dead, and yet believe ourselves to be alive." Whereunto I answered, For our parts, father, we are men also newly come hither and swallowed up ship and all but yesterday, and now come purposely within this wood which is so large and thick. Some good angel, I think, did guide us hither to have the sight of you and to make us know that we are not the only men confined within this monster. Tell us, therefore, your fortunes, we beseech you, what you are and how you came into this place." But he answered, You shall not hear a word from me, nor ask any more questions, until you have taken part of such viands as we are able to afford you. So he took us and brought us into his house, which was sufficient to serve his turn. His pallets were prepared, and all things else made ready. Then he set before us herbs and nuts and fish, 
and filled out of his own wine unto us, and when we were sufficiently satisfied, he then demanded of us what fortunes we had endured. And I related all things to him in order that had betide unto us, the tempest, the passages in the island, our navigation in the air, our war, and all the rest, even till our diving into the whale. Whereat he wondered exceedingly, and began to deliver also what had befallen to him, and said, By lineage, O you strangers, I am of the Isle of Cyprus, and travelling from mine own country as a merchant, with my son you see here, and many other friends with me, made a voyage for Italy in a great ship full fraught with merchandise, which perhaps you have seen broken in pieces in the mouth of the whale. We sailed with fair weather till we were as far as Sicily, but there we were overtaken with such a boisterous storm that the third day we were driven into the ocean, where it was our fortune to meet with this whale which swallowed us all up, and only we two escaped with our lives. All the rest perished, whom we have here buried and built a temple to Neptune." Ever since we have continued this course of life, planting herbs and feeding upon fish and nuts, here is wood enough, you see, and plenty of vines which yield most delicate wine. We have also a well of excellent cool water, which it may be you have seen. We make our beds of the leaves of trees and burn as much wood as we will. We chase after the birds that fly about us and go out upon the gills of the monster to catch after live fishes. Here we bathe ourselves when we are disposed, for we have a lake of salt water not far off, about some twenty furlongs in compass, full of sundry sorts of fish in which we swim and sail upon it in a little boat of my own making. This is the seventh and twentieth year of our drowning, and with all this we might be well enough contented if our neighbours and borderers about us were not perverse and troublesome, altogether insociable and of stern condition." Is it so, indeed, said I, that there should be any within the whale but yourselves? Many, said he, and such as are unreconcilable towards strangers, and of monstrous and deformed proportions. The western countries and the tail part of the wood are inhabited by the Tarakanians that look like eels, with faces like a lobster. These are warlike, fierce, and feed upon raw flesh. They that dwell towards the right side are called the Tritonomidons, which have their upper parts like unto fish, their lower parts like cats, and are less offensive than the rest. On the left side inhabit the Carcinocurians and the Thinocephalians, which are in league with one another. The middle region is possessed by the Paguridians and the Pisetopodians, a warlike nation and swift of foot. Eastwards towards the mouth is for the most part deserted, as overwashed by the sea. Yet I am fain to take that for my dwelling, paying yearly to the Pisetopians in way of tribute five hundred oysters. Of so many nations does this country consist, we must therefore devise among ourselves either how to be able to fight with them, or how to live among them. What number may they all amount to? said I. More than a thousand, said he. And what armor have they? None at all, said he, but the bones of fishes. Then were it our best course, said I, to encounter them, being 
provided as we are, and they without weapons, for if we prove too hard for them, we shall afterwards live out of fear. This we concluded upon, and went to our ship to furnish ourselves with arms. The occasion of war we gave by non-payment of tribute, which then was due, for they sent their messengers to demand it, to whom he gave a harsh and scornful answer, and sent them packing with their warrant. But the Pesetopodians and the Pagiridians, taking it ill at the hands of Scintharis, for so was the man named, came against us with a great tumult, and we, suspecting what they were to do, stood upon our guard to wait for them, and laid five and twenty of our men in ambush, commanding them as soon as the enemy was passed by to set upon them, who did so, and arose out of their ambush and fell upon the rear. We also, being five and twenty in number, for Scintharis and his son were marshaled among us, advanced to meet with them and encountered them with great courage and strength. But in the end, we put them to fight and pursued them into their very dens. Of the enemies were slain a hundred, threescore, and ten, and but one of us besides Trigles, our pilot, who was thrust through the back with a fish's rib. All that day following, and the night after, we lodged in our trenches, and set on end a dry backbone of a dolphin instead of a trophy. The next morrow the rest of the country people, perceiving what had happened, came to assault us. The Taricanians were ranged in the right wing, with Palamas, their captain. The Thinocaphalians were placed in the left wing. The Carcinocurians made up the main battle, for the Tritonomendetans stirred not. Neither would they join with either part. About the temple of Neptune we met with them and joined fight with a great cry, which was answered with an echo out of the whale as if it had been out of a cave. But we soon put them to flight, being naked people, and chased them into the wood, making ourselves master of the country. Soon after they sent ambassadors to us to crave the bodies of the dead and to treat upon conditions of peace, but we had no purpose to hold friendship with them, but set upon them the next day and put them all to the sword, except the Tritonobitans, who, seeing how it fared with the rest of their fellows, fled away through the gills of the fish, and cast themselves into the sea. Then we travelled all the country over, which was now deserted, and dwelt there afterwards without fear of enemies, spending the time in exercise of the body, and in hunting, in planting vineyards and gathering fruits of the trees, like such men as live delicately and have the world at will, in a spacious and unavoidable prison. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. 
No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This kind of life led we for a year and eight months. But when the fifth day of the ninth month was come, about the time of the second opening of his mouth, for so the whale did once every hour, whereby we conjectured how the hours went away, I say about the second opening, upon a sudden we heard a great cry and a mighty noise like the calls of mariners and the stirring of oars, which troubled us not a little. Wherefore we crept up to the very mouth of the fish, and, standing within his teeth, saw the strangest sight that ever I beheld. Men of monstrous greatness, half a furlong in stature, sailing upon mighty great islands as if they were upon shipboard. I know you will think this smells like a lie, but yet you shall have it. The islands were of a good length indeed, but not very high, containing about a hundred furlongs in compass, 
Every one of these carried of those kind of men, eight and twenty, of which some sat on either side of the island and rode in their course with great cypress trees, branches, leaves, and all, instead of oars. On the stern or hinder part, as I take it, stood the governor, upon a high hill, with a brazen rudder of a furlong in length in his hand. On the fore part stood forty such fellows as those, armed for the fight, resembling men in all points but in their hair, which was all fire and burnt clearly, so that they needed no helmets. Instead of sails, the wood growing in the island did serve their turns, for the wind blowing against it drove it forward, the island like a ship, and carried it which way the governor would have it, for they had pilots to direct them, and were as nimble to be stirred with oars as any long boat. At the first we had the sight but of two or three of them, afterwards appeared no less than six hundred, which, dividing themselves into two parts, prepared for encounter, in which many of them, by meeting with their barks together, were broken in pieces, many were turned over and drowned, that they closed, fought lustily, and would not easily be parted, for the soldiers in the front showed a great deal of valor, entering one upon another, and killed all they could, for none were taken prisoners. Instead of iron grapples, they had mighty great polypodes fast tied, which they cast at the other, and if they once laid hold on the wood, they made the isle sure enough for stirring. They darted and wounded one another with oysters that would fill a wain, and sponges as big as an acre. The leader on the one side was Aeolicentaurus, and of the other Thessalopotes. The quarrel, as it seems, grew about taking a booty, for they said that Thessalopotes drove away many flocks of dolphins that belonged to Aeolicentaurus, as we heard by their clamors to one another, and calling upon the names of their kings. But Aeolicentaurus had the better of the day and sunk one hundred and fifty of the enemy's islands, and three they took with the men and all. The rest withdrew themselves and fled, whom the other pursued, but not far, because it grew towards evening, but returned to those that were wrecked and broken, which they also recovered for the most part, and took their own away with them. For on their part they were no less than fourscore islands drowned. Then they erected a trophy for a monument of this island fight, and fastened one of the enemy's islands with a stake upon the head of the whale. That night they lodged close by the beast, casting their cables about him, and anchored near unto him. Their anchors are huge and great, made of glass, but of a wonderful strength. The morrow after, when they had sacrificed upon the top of the whale, and there buried their dead, they sailed away with great triumph and songs of victory. And this was the manner of the island's fight. Upon this we began to be weary of our abode in the whale, and our tarriance there did much trouble us. We therefore set all our wits a-work, to find out some means or other to clear us from our captivity. First we thought it would do well to dig a hole through his right side and make our escape that way forth, which we began to labor at lustily. But after we had pierced him five furlongs deep and found it was to no purpose, we gave it over. 
Then we devised to set the wood on fire, for that would certainly kill him without all question, and being once dead, our issue would be easy enough. This we also put into practice, and began our project at the tail end, which burnt seven days and as many nights before he had any feeling of our fireworks. Upon the eighth and ninth days we perceived he began to grow sickly, for he gaped more dully than he was wont to do, and sooner closed his mouth again. The tenth and eleventh he was thoroughly mortified and began to stink. Upon the twelfth day we bethought ourselves, though almost too late, that unless we underpropped his chops when he gaped next to keep them from closing, we could be in danger of perpetual imprisonment within his dead carcass and there miserably perish. We therefore pitched long beams of timber upright within his mouth to keep it from shutting, and then made our ship in a readiness, and provided ourselves with store of fresh water and all other things necessary for our use. Skintharis taking upon him to be our pilot, and the next morrow the whale died. Then we hauled our ship through the void passages and fastening cables about his teeth, by little and little settled it into the sea, and, mounting the back of the whale, sacrificed to Neptune, and for three days together took up our lodging hard by the trophy for which we were becalmed. The fourth day we put to sea, and met with many dead corpses that perished in the late sea fight, which our ship hid against, whose bodies we took measure of with great admiration, and sailed for a few days in very temperate weather. But after that the north wind blew so bitterly that a great frost ensued, wherewith the whole sea was frozen up not only superficially upon the upper part, but in depth also, the depth of four hundred fathoms, so that we were fain to forsake our ship and run upon the ice. The wind, sitting long in this corner, and we were not able to endure it, put this device in practice, which was the invention of Scintharis. With mattocks and other instruments, we made a mighty cave in the water, wherein we sheltered ourselves forty days together. In it we kindled fire and fed upon fish, of which we found great plenty in our digging. At the last our provision falling short, we returned to our frozen ship, which we set upright and, spreading her sails, went forward as well as if we had been upon water, leisurely and gently sliding upon the ice. But on the fifth day the weather grew warm and the frost broke and all was turned to water again. We had not sailed three hundred furlongs forward, but we came to a little island that was deserted, where we only took in fresh water, which was now began to fail us, and with our shot killed two wild bulls, and so departed. These bulls have their horns growing not upon their heads, but under their eyes, as Momus thought it better. Then we entered into a sea, not of water, but of milk in which appeared a white island full of vines. This island was only a great cheese well-pressed, as we afterwards found when we fed upon it. About some five-and-twenty furlongs in bigness, the vines were of clusters of grapes, out of which we could crush no wine, but only milk. In the midst of the island there was a temple dedicated to Galatea, one of the daughters of Nereus, as by the inscription appeared. As long as we remained there, the soil yielded us food and victuals, and our drink was the milk that came out of the grapes. 
In these, as they said, reigns Tiro, the daughter of Salmonius, who, after her departure, received this Gerdon at the hands of Neptune. In this island we rested ourselves five days, and on the sixth put to sea again, a gentle gale attending us, and the seas all still and quiet. The eighth day, as we sailed onward, not in milk any longer, but in salt and azure water, we saw many men running upon the sea, like unto us every way forth, both in shape and stature, but only for their feet, which were of cork, whereupon I suppose they had the name of Felipodes. We marvelled much when we saw they did not sink, but keep above water and travel upon it so boldly. They came unto us and saluted us in the Grecian language, and said they were bound towards Fellow, their own country, and for a while ran along by us, but at last turned their own way and left us, wishing us a happy and prosperous voyage. Within a while many islands appeared, and near unto them upon our left stood Fellow, the place whereunto they had travelled, which was a city seated upon a mighty, great, and round cork. Further off, and more towards the right hand, we saw five other islands, large and mountainous, in which much fire was burning. But directly before us was a spacious, flat island, distant from us not above five hundred furlongs, and approaching somewhat near unto it, a wonderful fragrant air breathed upon us, of a most sweet and delicate smell, such as Herodotus, the story-writer, says arises out of Arabia the happy, consisting of a mixture of roses, daffodils, gilly-flowers, lilies, violets, myrtles, bays, and blossoms of vines, such a dainty, odiferous savour was conveyed unto us. Being delighted with this smell, and hoping for better fortunes after our long labours, we got within a little of the isle, in which we found many havens on every side, not subject to overflowing, and yet of great capacity, and rivers of clear water emptying themselves easily into the sea, with meadows and herbs and musical birds, some singing upon the shore and many upon the branches of trees, a still and gentle air compassing the whole country. When pleasant blasts gently stirred the woods, the motion of the branches made a continual, delightsome melody, like the sound of wind instruments in a solitary place. A kind of clamor also was heard mixed with it, yet not tumultuous nor offensive, but like the noise of a banquet, when some do play on wind instruments. Some commend the music, and some with their hands applaud the pipe or the harp, all which yielded us so great content that we boldly entered the haven, made fast our ship, and landed, leaving in her only Scintharis and two more of our companions behind us. Passing along through a sweet meadow, we met with the guards that used to sail about the island, who took us and bound us with garlands of roses, which are the strictest bands they have, to be carried to their governor. From them we heard, as we were upon the way, that it was the island of those that were called blessed, and that Radamanthus was governor there, to whom we were brought and placed the fourth in order of them that were to be judged. 
The first trial was about Ajax, the son of Telamon, whether he were a meat man to be admitted into the society of the heroes or not. The objections against him were his madness and the killing of himself, and after long pleading to and fro, Radamanthus gave this sentence, that for the present he should be put to Hippocrates, the physician of Cos, to be purged with Helleborus, and upon the recovery of his wits to have admittance. The second was a controversy of love, Theseus and Menelaus contending which had the better right to Helen. But Radamanthus gave judgment on Menelaus's side in respect of the manifold labors and perils he had incurred for that marriage's sake, whereas Theseus had wives enough beside to live withal, as the Amazon and the daughter of Minos. The third was a question of precedency between Alexander, the son of Philip, and Hannibal, the Carthaginian, in which Alexander was preferred and his throne placed next to the elder Cyrus, the Persian. In the fourth place we appeared, and he demanded of us what reason we had, being living men, to take land in that sacred country, and we told him all our adventures in order as they befell us. Then he commanded us to stand aside, and considering upon it a great while, in the end proposed it to the benchers, which were many, and among them Aristides the Athenian, surnamed the Just. And when he was provided what sentence to deliver, he said that for our busy curiosity and needless travels we should be accountable after our death but for the present we should have a time limited for our abode, during which we should feast with the heroes and then depart, prefixing us seven months' liberty to conclude our tarriance and no more. Then our garlands fell off from us themselves, and we were set loose and led into the city to feast with the blessed. The city was all of gold, compassed with a wall made of the precious stone, Smaragdus, which had seven gates, every one cut out of a whole piece of timber of cinnamon tree. The pavement of the city and all the ground within the walls was ivory. The temples of all the gods are built out of barrel, with large altars made all of one whole amethyst, upon which they offer their sacrifices. About the city runs a river of most excellent sweet ointment, in breadth a hundred cubits of the larger measure, and so deep that a man may swim in it with ease. For their baths they have great houses of glass, which they warm with cinnamon, and their bathing tubs are filled with warm dew instead of water. Their only garments are cobwebs of purple color, neither have they any bodies, but are intactile and without flesh, a mere shape and presentation only. And being thus bodiless, yet they stand and are moved, are intelligent and can speak, and their naked soul seems to wander up and down in a corporeal likeness. For if a man touches them not, he can't say otherwise, but that they have bodies, altogether like shadows, standing upright, and not, as they are, of a dark color. No man waxes any older there than he was before, but of what age he comes thither, so he continues. Neither is there any night with them, nor indeed clear day, but like the twilight towards morning before the sun is up, 
such a kind of light they live in. They know but one season of the year, which is the spring, and feel no other wind but Zephyrus. The region flourishes with all sorts of flowers and with all pleasing plants fit for shade. Their vines bear fruit twelve times a year, every month once. Their pomegranate trees, their apple trees, and their other fruit, they say, bear thirteen times in the year, for in the month called Minus they bear twice. Instead of wheat, their ears bear them loaves of bread, ready-baked, like unto mushrooms. About the city are three hundred, threescore, and five wells of water, and as many of honey and five hundred of sweet ointment, for they are less than the other. They have seven rivers of milk and eight of wine. Oh, nerds, I'm cutting you off there. We're just beginning to learn of Elysium, the island of the blessed, and all the weird rivers of random liquids that Lucian seems to have a real thing for. This book is so weird. I love it so much. It's so ridiculous. Oh, my God. Like, they live inside a whale for, like, two years. Like, two years. Incredible. Anyway, this is truly so much fun. I can't express how much fun. It's such a joy. Uh, And I will be back next week with a full rundown of Elysium and all the heroes they meet and hang out with there. Along with, I mean, God, it's the whole rest of the story. Because if you think Lucian's done, you're wrong. Just one more episode of this messy thing of incredible wonder oh my god it's just so much fun thank you all so much for listening as always i am Liv, and i love this shit when the taliban banned music in afghanistan millions were plunged into silence Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile... 
the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.